What do you call someone who tricks you out of something after they've gained your confidence? You know, one of the biggest scams of all time was initiated by Bernie Madoff. He in, his investment fraud swindled hundreds of thousands of people out of close to $65 billion worth of assets. That crook posed as credible, and he gained the trust of others, but the entire time he was being disingenuous about who he was. Or what about Frank Abagnale? His life story of forgery and fraud was the basis for the movie Catch Me If You Can with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. Abagnale uh, became one of the most wanted people in America for forging close to $2.5 million in U.S. currency. He lived a complete lie. At the age of 16, he posed as a Pan Am airline pilot, flew more than 250 flights, more than 1 million airline miles, and he never knew how to fly a plane. He said, admittedly, he couldn't even fly a kite. Or how about his forgery of a Harvard Law University degree at the age of 19? He passed the bar exam in Louisiana and got a job for himself uh, at the attorney general's office, having never studied law. Or him posing as a pediatrician and became the chief resident of a Georgian hospital, even though he never earned a medical degree. He fooled a lot of people, and most of his life was based on a lie. You know, we've been in this study titled Diving Deeper. It's uh, all based on some letters that are found in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. We're in Second Timothy this morning, and the Apostle Paul wrote these words from a dungeon. It's the last bit of literature that we have from the Apostle Paul before he faced a death of beheading. And Timothy was a faithful pastor. He ministered in a church that the Apostle Paul had established in the city of Ephesus, which is based in the country of Turkey. Timothy's now on his own. He's trying to piece together a church that has been fractured, a church that has been beat up by persecution because of government and because of some labor disputes that had taken place in that city. And the church of Ephesus is weak, and they need a strong leader. And Timothy just happens to fit the bill. Someone who is not willing to compromise in their faith. Someone who's willing to be authentic in the midst of plastic Christianity. And Timothy's the right guy for the job. And so Paul just tries to fine-tune. And what we catch Paul doing in the last part of this letter is like what you would catch uh, a corner man, a boxing coach due to his prize fighter before the bell rings and he has to go face another round. Keep your hands up. Watch out for the jab. Stay on your toes. Just last-minute instructions of training that he's already had, but just, just a reminder from a coach to pay attention to the basics because if we don't get it right in the basics, we will be lost when it comes to the complexities of our faith. So let's look together in 2 Timothy. Let's start in verse 2 and let's read verses 14 and following. Because there were some false teachers who had distorted God's word, they'd conned followers of Christ from believing the truth. And so Paul speaks to Timothy and warns them about these men. He says, Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. We're in verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Do your best to present yourself 
to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That is the key to the teaching of this morning. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetos who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. You know, obviously in the Ephesian church where Timothy was pastoring, there was a group of people that had initiated a deceitful teaching. That teaching became a gangrene, a decay to the church, and that teaching was called Gnosticism. It was the belief that Jesus did not really, literally, bodily resurrect from the grave, but that he only did so figuratively, and they would strip the power and the authority away from Jesus and the incredible miracle of the resurrection. But Paul points them out and says, these men are fraudsters, and they're just trying to gain a new following for themselves. They're they're con men. And so Paul's instruction to Timothy is, Don't stoop down to their level and start arguing about words. Rise to something greater and be genuine in your faith because the men that have gone on to abandon the faith and teach something different, well, they're foolish. You know, the book of Proverbs advises us like this, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. Like they have no desire to hear the truth of God. They just want to speak their opinions to people. They don't want to take in someone else's view of life. But let me tell you what I think Paul's getting at with Timothy. I think Paul's saying to Timothy, genuine people uphold and speak the truth. They live it out. They uphold and speak the truth. Genuine people do. You know, I think there's little doubt that Christianity is in crisis that there is a credibility crisis in Christianity. Some of it may be able to be pinned on ministers and priests that have plagued the headlines about sexual abuse scandals or money laundering through offerings or maybe affairs that have ruined or downfalled a ministry. I think all too often Christians have been artificial in following Christ. I think we live behind plastic smiles. Sometimes we're not real with one another. We're not real with people that are interested in finding out how Jesus changes our lives. We just, we act like things are all right and everything's perfect and we don't want to talk about the struggle or the hardship or the reality of our life. And I think the, 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 the credibility crisis comes from some of that. I mean, what good is it if we have a message of truth, yet the messengers of that truth don't live it out? Jesus, our founder, taught us to be credible Christians. Uh, He placed us with this responsibility that we have the privilege of being salt to preserve a decaying world and to be the light to give hope to a world that has fallen into darkness of sin. Do you remember his teaching about that in Matthew chapter 5? He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, 
How can it be made salty again? It's no good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled on men. And he continues, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men and before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I probably don't need to tell you this, but you know that the world is more deceptive, more negative, and more selfish than probably it was just 50 years ago, right? As a matter of fact, the Barna Research Group had done some studies about morals and ethics, and as they have declined over the last 50 to 60 years, and here's where their findings were, that teens and young adults today will be twice as likely to engage in immoral behavior than their parents did. You know, Jesus spoke about the apathy that we'd have for one another as the time before his second coming arrives. And here's what he taught. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. You know, as men and women no longer have a standard for God's truth, they'll make up their own codes of value. And whether it's opinions about what a woman should do with her body or an unborn child within her, or maybe it's about making sure that illegal drugs become legal. Even though we know they're harmful, society says, no, now they're okay. Maybe it's about how same-sex marriage should be legitimized by our government. Many in our society have no exact moral code. Have you ever wondered why the moral line keeps moving? It's because people don't have a standard for what is right and what is wrong and what is truth. And since Christians, I think at times, are sometimes fearful to voice their opinion of the truth, secularists have thrown out the truth of God's word and they've replaced it for whatever best pleases them and pleases their lifestyle. And therefore, the line of morality moves and sways to whatever their liking might be. And you know, when we're not genuine and upholding the truth of God's word and living by it, we lose our saltiness. We lose the ability to preserve a decaying world if we don't live up to the standards that God's put into our life. We need to rise above rather than stoop to the level. You know, the world is full of disingenuous people, if you haven't discovered already. People that are for, for themselves and they try to gain your confidence and they try to get something out of you that's valuable. You know, I recently was contacted by email by the Prince of Nigeria. Prince Kofu Abamufu. He's the elder of the Nigerian king, Opto Mofuhu, who tragically died, from my understanding. And if, and if the prince can just get $2,000, then he can have the bank have released the $5.2 million that his dad has left for him. And I've been petitioned just to send $2,000 his way. And for my trouble, he will in turn give me $200,000 for all the trouble. Now, we're going to receive emails like that, and you're going to receive scam calls about how you haven't paid your taxes and how you need to pay up. You're going to have all sorts of people come at you with disingenuous motives because people can be deceptive, and we can use shameful tactics to get ahead. And when a person doesn't have absolute moral boundaries like those that are established and set in God's word, their values are going to constantly change. And that will lead to living, I think, an insincere life. But when we have 
a correct handle on God's word, we have a moral code and our values won't change. The line will always be consistent and the boundaries will always be set for us. But here's the goal, to be a genuine article, to be bona fide in the faith. You've got to live up to those boundaries. You've got to stay within the moral line that God set to be a genuine article. You have to have a life of integrity. In 1929, federal agent Elliot Ness was making $2,800 a year. That was his salary. He was once handed an envelope with $2,000 cash from the notorious criminal Al Capone. And he was promised that $2,000 would come his way every week if he would just lay off of the criminal investigation of Al Capone's criminal network. Well, Ness rejected that buy-off, that bribe, and he called a press conference to record exactly what Al Capone tried to do. Next week, the next day, the headlines read on the newspapers that Ness and his men are untouchable, and that's how they became known as the untouchables. You know, the Bible encourages us as Christians to become untouchable, that no one can find a speck of dirt or sin in your lives. That's why, that's why Paul tells the young man, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as approved. I like what First Peter has to say. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And you know, as you let God's word guide your life, it will transform you to live this more authentic, genuine, legitimate Christian faith. And people will take notice of that kind of stuff. People take notice when you come into work five minutes early because everybody else is coming into work five minutes late. People will take notice when you live up to the standards of God and you put in an honest day's work when the rest of those who are your coworkers kind of slough off their job. People will take notice when other managers are padding their expense accounts, but you are being forthright and honest about yours and you're living up to the standards that God's put in your life. You know, others will notice around you when everyone is promiscuous, but you've decided to remain pure. Not only will God honor that, but men and women will honor that as well. You know, when others' students are cheating on a test and you decide that you're not going to, even if your grade suffers, people will notice eventually. And they'll notice that your character is different from the rest of the students. Genuine people uphold the truth and they live the truth out you know, in the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they were flogged and they were beaten and then they were thrown into prison for healing a woman in the name of Jesus Christ. And while they were in prison, they worshiped God and they sang praises to God and all of those that were in jail with them, the other prisoners, they listened to what Paul and Silas were doing. How strange it must have been that in a jail that was filled with suffering, there were shouts and songs of joy. And it captured the attention of those men in that dungeon. And then the Bible says that in their middle of their singing, there was a great earthquake and the hinges of the jail door broke free and it gave an escape passage for, for Paul and for Silas, but they didn't take it. Now the jailer had no idea what was going on and he thought all the prisoners had escaped. So he was about ready to kill himself in suicide. And that's when the apostle Paul yells down the hallway and he says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And that act of integrity, to stay confined even though he could have been set free, 
penetrated the jailer's heart. And he looked introspectively in his life and he came to know who Jesus Christ was. And it says that night his entire family accepted salvation through Jesus. Why? Because Paul and Silas, they stayed true to the faith and they became salt in a rotting dungeon. You know, Jesus wants us to preserve what is right, even in the world that's rotting around us. And when you're genuine in your faith, you preserve a deteriorating world. When you're tempted to let down your morals and, and not speak up against evil, be true to your belief and uphold it. Begin to sprinkle the salt around. Let God's word permeate your choices and govern your decisions. When you go the extra mile with somebody or when you turn the other cheek to promote peace rather than revenge, you're preserving a world that is in decay with the salt that you're sprinkling around. And friends, you'll find out that your actions are truly speaking louder than your words. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul still tells Timothy in this next passage of Scripture. Look at 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 20 with me. It says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And he's talking about like silverware. He's talking about what's in your, your cupboards, what's in the drawers, your utensils. That's what he's getting at. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Verse 21. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do good work. Flee... Flee in the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. I, I, I like what Paul is revealing to Timothy. He's revealing to him, genuine people are attractive and special. You know, when we'd have guests come over to the house when I was younger, my mom would set an elaborate dining room setting. She would put out all the fine china and the crystal stemware would be placed on the table the flatware would be real silverware. That's what would happen when a guest would come over. But our normal dinner would be at the kitchen table, not at the dining room table, with plates that were scratched and chipped, with glasses that weren't as shiny as the crystal, and that flatware that wasn't silver at all. Now, my, my mom wasn't trying to, to pull the wool over some guest's eyes, like this is the way we eat all the time at the Merrill household. Now, what she was doing was telling that guest, you're special, and we want to bring out the special things for you. I think that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, this world has a special place in God's heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son over to this world. Timothy, you be attractive, and you be something special to this world, and you, you bring attraction to to Jesus Christ. Jesus said about his followers, you're the light of the world. You know, people who live in darkness, they, they are eager to get a glimpse of the light. In the gospel of John, it says, I've come as a light to shine in the darkness, Jesus says, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. I think light grabs our attention. When someone has the flash on and their camera in a darkened room, your eyes take notice. When the stage is darkened out and just the spotlight is present, your eyes are drawn to it. And the darker the world becomes, it just takes a small amount of light for us to be attracted to find noticeability to it. 
And when you're genuine in your faith, you have a brilliance to you in a darkened world. But when you back off from your faith, you hold back the light of Christ that's within you. You know, people might be turned off by organized religion. They might be turned off and repulsed by hypocritical Christians, but they will never be turned off by Jesus Christ. People are attracted to the light of Christ that's within us. Jesus captures people's attention. Jesus is an irresistible light in a very darkened world. And it's our responsibility to reflect that light in our lives. You see, your light breaks through the darkness in the world that you get to be a part of. When you pray, maybe in a crowded restaurant, even though you have the temptation to say, let's not express our faith here, and you pray for thanks of God's goodness in your life, that light shines in the middle of that darkness. Or maybe you're with a coworker who is having a difficult time trying to raise her children, and you just are patient with her. That light shines in the middle of her darkness. I recently read an article from the editorialist Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times. He said that he's not very religious, but he can see that the work of evangelical Christians in this world have put off a brilliant light. He says his friends that are Christian give more than 10% of their income to charities that focus on ending famine, stopping the spread of malaria, halting human trafficking, exposing genocide, giving to charities that give hope to the incarcerated and give assurance to those who are abused. He says his Christian friends outshines his non-Christian friends easily just when it comes to the areas of giving of their finances. Now, Mr. Kristoff is not a Christian. He's not a follower of Jesus Christ, but here's what he writes. He says, some of the bravest people you'll meet are Christians who truly live out the faith. You see, people who shine Christ from within and let it out, you don't need a spotlight to get the attraction. Jesus Christ will be attractive enough for the world to be recognized. You know, a skeptic is saying, when a Christian life is authentic, God's word, God's light stands out in this dark world. I like what the Bible has to say, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. But please understand that you're not the source of the light. People aren't attracted by what you do. They're not attracted by your love. They're attracted by what God does through you and the love that God places through you. Someone once said that people are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and they shine when the sun is out, but in the darkness, beauty is seen only when the light is within. Jesus declared, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember, light bulbs don't shine on their own. It takes an enormous amount of energy produced at some power plant for that light bulb to shine bright. And your light doesn't shine alone either. It takes an enormous amount of power of God at work within you so that light bulb of yours can shine brightly in our dimly lit world. So here's the plea. Stop pretending because you're just blending into the darkness. Shine brightly for Christ. Live genuinely in your faith. Be different. Don't stoop down to the way the world works, Timothy. Rise above it and let your light shine. I think Paul helps Timothy to see that. And he gives them an understanding on how to do that in a certain way by how he has a relationship with people. Let's look at this last section of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. 
Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who takes them captive to do his will. You know, prideful people have a difficult time accepting truth, especially when it opposes their thinking. You see, pride uh, is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. And Paul encourages Timothy to gently instruct those people that are not truthful and that, that not accepted the truth. And I think what Paul's saying is be genuine. That genuine people are humble with the truth. They're not prideful with it and they don't arrogantly beat people over the head with it. In the book of Acts, when a preacher named Apollos was teaching a baptism of repentance rather than a baptism of being crucified with Christ, a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, were in the attendance that day and they overheard the bad theology of this preacher. They waited for the services to end and they asked Apollos, the preacher, to come to their house And as Acts chapter 18, verse 26 says, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. They must have done it in a very gentle and humble way. And they must have been able to correct Apollos with the truth in a very humble manner because the text says later that Apollos left their house with great zeal and passion for the Lord and went out into the world and preached the gospel with great passion than he had ever had before. You see, genuine people who have the truth, they speak the truth, but they do it in love. They do it gently, just like Aquilus and and Priscilla, they did so when they had to correct a preacher's poor theology. Authentic Christians don't bash people over the head with the truth. They correct them gently because people are skeptical of what happens in this place. You're aware of that, right? They want to know what takes place at Bethany Christian Church. Because there is sometimes the thought that all Christians do is handle the truth in an unworthy manner, just as a way or tool of bashing people over the head with God's word. And I think it's important that this community doesn't see us as an arrogant bully, but they see us as someone who loves them and is willing to handle the word of truth correctly and correctly and gently correct those that are not within the truth. And I think a part of that is understanding our own weakness. To know that while we uphold the truth, we don't always live out the truth. That there's an hypocrisy that lives within us and resides there. But we have to understand that about one another. And we have to be open with each other. I read the story about uh, an old story about Dwight L. Moody, who was a famous American evangelist years ago. And a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who was a very famous English preacher. Moody had gone overseas to visit... Spurgeon and when Spurgeon answered the door Moody was shocked because Spurgeon was smoking a cigar Moody said how can you a man of God smoke a cigar Spurgeon took the cigar out of his mouth poked the finger at Moody's large belly and said the same way that you can be a man of God and be fat you know the two men became close friends because they were open and able to share their weaknesses there's no reason to masquerade our faith. We have imperfections here in this place. The Apostle Paul said of himself that he was the chief of all sinners. That was his way to remind a young man named Timothy that, Timothy, you're not always going to get it right in the faith. There's going to be areas where you're going to be filled with hypocrisy. But take God's grace. Just like Isaiah looked in the face of God and said, 
I am a man of unclean lips. We have to know our place, that while we shine the light and spread the salt of faith in a decaying world, we don't always get it right. And we need to be transparent about that. Jesus saved, you know, his harshest rebukes for those that tried to pretend that everything in life was right for them. The prideful priests, the Pharisees, they were so arrogant that they had their life all set up and perfect. And Jesus rebuked them and said, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of, of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. They were pretending to be filled with the Spirit of God, but yet inside of them, they were just filled with their own selfishness. And Jesus looked Beyond the facade, he saw the structure of their life and he said, you guys are not living anywhere close to the teachings that you proclaim. You are being disingenuous. You're being con men to this world that needs truthfulness spoken to it. You know, Jesus wants us to be genuine. He wants us to live out our faith in such a way that it is brilliant for men to see. That we don't stoop down to a lesser level, but that we rise up to the high standard that he's called us to. I had just recently read that pretending to be a military veteran could soon be illegal in Indiana. I already thought it was. But I wasn't aware, but there has been recently a surge of counterfeit military veterans across this country, especially in our state. A man by the name of Don Shipley, who is a retired Navy SEAL, runs an organization called Guardians of Valor. He keeps a running list of all the bona fide Navy SEALs and a roster of all the bogus SEALs that claim they are, but they aren't. Some of the imposters would just startle you. Some of them are government officials that hold public office. Others are bank presidents. Some are lawyers. Some are doctors. Others are even ministers. And for whatever reason, these men in upstanding positions have decided that they were going to lie about their military service, probably just to get ahead. So they fake certificates and put them on their wall. They buy uniforms and medals and head out to parades and to honor ceremonies, pretending that they're Navy SEALs, but they're really not. But they've never taken the oath of enlistment. They've never gone to boot camp. They've never earned the right to wear the uniform or to receive the accolades that our service men and women deserve. Those fakes are called out for stolen valor. They're pretending to be genuine but they're frauds. Hey, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul said this, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Hey, is it the real deal or are you just stealing valor? If you see a spiritual masquerade in your life, here's what we're asking you to do today. We're asking you to step forward and to be open and honest with a God that already knows your heart and knows your imperfections. Because we are assured in scripture that when we do that and we step forward from our hypocrisy to say we wanna be authentic, God says that he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that is good stuff. 
You see, hypocrisy resides in us all, but it's spiritual hypocrisy that Jesus condemns. And he says, that's the worst of the words. And God desires us to have a sincere faith. And so today, we're inviting you to live a genuine life in Jesus Christ, to be the light and to be the salt in a decaying world.